Hello, welcome to Stacked. I'm Amanda. And I'm Zipporah. And we're two friends who connected over our shared love of books and their power to demystify the world around us. So if you're the kind of person who can't leave their house without a book, or you still remember the first book you couldn't put down, or you love long journeys because it gives you a really good chance to read, then join us each episode as we discuss the books we've read and how they've changed us, saved us, made us laugh, and cry, or even disappointed us. It happens. <laughs> you can find Stacked wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at the Stacked Pod. Hello. Hi. Hi, friend. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I sound in the short. I'm actually fine. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, what's up? <laughs> don't, don't be worried. I'm fine. <laughs> uh, what have you been up to? Uh, just work in school, really. Nothing interesting going on in my life right now. How about you? What have you been up to? Same, same. But the other day I tried... Reformers Pilates for the first time. Mm, oh, love Pilates. Re- reformers? Reformer. Reformer. <laughs> <laughs> With all the contraptions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really hard. Yeah, of course. But the kind of thing, it's only hard right there in the moment. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel any pain the next day. Or, yeah. Which I think is good. It's great, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I love Pilates. And it's fun. The, the machine is really fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to try it like with the machine. I've only ever done matte Pilates, which mm-hmm. I... I like because I like a good like stretch. I like mat exercises. I'm really not like a um, lifting kind of person in the gym. Like I think in the gym, I'm just going for like Vibes. core strength. <laughs> 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 but like I want core strength. I want flexibility and I want like agility. And I feel like that's the kind of stuff that Pilates and like yoga and that stuff helps you with. And yeah. that's what I'm into. You'll never catch me lifting. <laughs> never catch me lifting was that you I like it all mm, mm-hmm. I like it all like I would, I would love to be able to do a pull up mm-hmm. um, <laughs> a single pull up yes. if I can do one I have made it <laughs> yeah. in life so I like to do all of it but yeah that's. I think that's the only other thing mm-hmm. um, I also I don't know how I came across this writer her name's Alice Monroe. oh I love Alice Monroe. you didn't even tell me about her what okay wow <laughs> Because, you know, I love short stories and Alice Munro is a short story queen. Mate, so I came across her and I read this short story called Runaway. Mm. Did you read it? Yeah, I think that was actually one of the first Alice Munro like short stories that I read as well. I think it's one of her most famous ones. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. I just came into it and it's just this story about a woman who tries to run away from her husband, gets on the bus back to wherever and yeah. then turns back. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> And I thought it was so interesting. Um, and I'm not saying any more than that, again, so that I don't spoil it for anyone, but that's what I read. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Another Nobel Prize winner there. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. and you didn't say anything. <laughs> you know, I feel like she's one of those ones that... Um, oh, I should know? <laughs> <laughs> not even that you should know, that I'm just kind of like... I don't know. To be fair, it's because she just doesn't get that much recognition, does she? No, I never heard of she's her. She's very like peripheral, but yeah, incredible short story writer. I think she's got like the art of the short story to like a T. And then also because I think she does that kind of like really hyper realistic kind of writing that you like, where it's like, as you're saying, there's not much plot, yeah. but it's just kind of like, this has happened. I'm doing this. And it's like very internal and interior. I feel so seen. Like, yeah. You know, that's what I like. Yeah, I know. Like, that's exactly why you liked it. Yeah. <laughs> 
just everyday details just everyday slice of life kind of stuff but then it seems like really friend, quiet hi friend, yeah. <laughs> hi, friend. <laughs> it's like quiet but it speaks to like so much more than what is just on the page mm, yeah no I, I really did love it so yeah I'd recommend it I think what's the name of the collection let me just double check oh, actually it's called Runaway <laughs> <laughs> there we go there we go okay cool how about you have you been reading anything yeah I have been reading some translate fiction I just finished reading Heaven by Mieko Kawakami the so, name is ringing a bell yeah, she's the one who also wrote Breast, Breast and, and Eggs, eggs. Yeah. <laughs> snap oh my god <laughs> yeah so she also wrote breast and eggs and i just finished reading that on my way here on my kindle and yeah i really enjoyed that is it better than breast and eggs i actually haven't read breast and eggs which is what's funny okay this was my first one of hers so now i'm like i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna read breast and eggs which one came first i think breast and eggs i almost said the chicken or the egg I, <laughs> no, but that's the, breast even, the, the, egg. the breast or the egg the breast or the egg <laughs> yeah so that's what i've been reading really enjoyed it i'm trying to read more translated fiction and read more like widely on like a global scale so what's the story about it's essentially just not like a coming of age it's about this boy and this girl basically who are at school and they form a connection because they're both being bullied like extremely bullied by their classmates so they start writing letters to each other and they kind of just become the safe haven and the safe space for each other wow. um, amongst all the bullying and stuff like that so that's essentially what it's about okay um, and kind of like the connections or the bonds that you can form as a result of you know trauma really I, I, yeah trauma bonding there it is again yeah <laughs> exactly So in this week, we're going to be talking about Toni Morrison. Okay, well, not just Toni Morrison. (laughs) (laughs) But specifically, we're going to be talking about Beloved by Toni Morrison, which is, and I feel like we've probably said this a couple of times on the season so far, so bear with. And I actually mean it this time. This is one of my favorite books ever. <laughs> Don't quote her. Yeah, one of the dozens. But no, this is one of my favorite favorite books ever. I I love Beloved. I think it's one of my most reread books. Because mm. I think usually I will love a book, but then that doesn't always mean that I'm going to come back to it. But with Beloved, I have found myself coming back to it time and time and time again. So I think that's why for me I had to have it in this season because it is really one of the books that made me a hundred percent. And I feel like this is one that's really hard to describe without being reductive and then also without spoiling anything that is at, like, you know, the true heart of the novel. So I'm not going to try and explain it or describe it too much, but it's essentially set after the American Civil War and we follow this family that is living in a house that is haunted by a malevolent spirit. So I would say that arguably this is one of, if not Toni Morrison's best known book. It's the one that won her the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1993. And it was also, unfortunately, (laughs) (laughs) it was also unfortunately adapted into a film in 1998 that stars Oprah and Tandy Newton. 
And it is a bad film. I haven't seen it. It is so bad. Like, honestly, don't see it. If you, <laughs> if you love this book or you have aspirations to read this book, don't watch that film. I'm going to watch the trailer now. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, it's so bad. It's so bad. And I know usually, in general, book to film or TV adaptations are never really, they never really give what's supposed to be gave, right? But this, I feel like it was a slap in the face. Was it that bad? To me, I just found it really terrible. That bad? Did it win anything? No. No. But it has such a great, I'm sorry, I've just Googled the YouTube the mm-hmm. trailer. Mm-hmm. It's got some good, Oh, you like you said, Oprah's in it. The guy, I don't know his name. Anyway, go on. But no, I mean, it's a star-studded, like, stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a star-studded cast, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> we've got Oprah, we have Tandy Newton, we've got, I don't know, whoever else is in it. But it's just so, to me, poorly executed. But I don't blame them. Why? I don't blame them. I think it's just because of how... The way that Toni Morrison constructs this story and the way that she tells the story makes it really hard to kind of like adapt and translate the atmosphere of this novel accurately for like film. Also because it does what novels do, which is explore the interior world. Exactly. film is not really, Mm -hmm. that's not its forte. Yeah, exactly. Film is so exterior. Film is about showing you. Whereas I feel like with Beloved, a lot of what she does is, as you're saying, like very interior and then very subtle as well. There's so many parts or so many aspects of this novel that reveal themselves very slowly over time, like in a way that like enhances their impact. But then it's because she's dropping little tips all the way throughout the story. I feel like you can't really do that as successfully in like visual media. I'm really intrigued now because I want to see the effort they made. Mm-hmm. I want to see the attempt. Yeah, I think watch it. It's ambitious. Yeah, definitely ambitious, I think, to try and like translate it. But I think the only reason why I think it's bad is I feel like they lost a lot of the more like scarier elements of mm. it. It wasn't scary? No. No, it wasn't scary to me. It felt more like silly. Oh no. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Oh no. Yeah, it was more like silly. It was a bit like, oh, that's a bit weird. But it wasn't like scary. Whereas I feel like when I'm reading Beloved... It's creepy. Yeah, like I'm scared sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I was very uncomfortable. (laughs) No, I actually don't blame you. (laughs) There's a bit when Beloved goes, don't ever tell me what to do. And I'm like, okay. Don't never do that. Yeah, no, literally. Beloved is so scary to me. Like, the character and the novel in general. <laughs> okay, I'll check it out. But so, that is the thing about Beloved to me. I think, first and foremost, I actually think it's a ghost story. And one of the reasons why it had such a massive impact on me, it was one of my first kind of, like, introductions to the Black Gothic. So, I think when we think of the Gothic, especially if you've studied it before in school it was always kind of very Eurocentric, right? We think yeah. Gothic, you're thinking Wuthering Heights. The bloody chamber. Yeah, you're thinking the bloody chamber. You're thinking uh, maybe Frankenstein. But so it was kind of my, one of my first introductions to the Black Gothic. So we had writers kind of like Toni Morrison and like Octavia Butler who were coming through and incorporating some of these Gothic elements into their writing and kind of co-opting a space that had previously been seen as like very 
white and like middle class and actually I think when you think gothic I also think European Mm. quite a lot don't you yeah I do yeah you know white yeah but white (laughs) so it was so strange to have like these black women across the Atlantic now taking hold of that genre and being like we're gonna put our own little you know stamp or spin on it that's why I'm disappointed that the film didn't do it right because I feel like there's lots of gothic imagery that could have been absolutely enlisted exactly I'm not gonna say anything because I haven't seen it so I can't really you know start taking up this wall (laughs) (laughs) you can't take up this battle but honestly I think that's why I was quite disappointed in it as well because I think in black culture in general kind of like gothic or supernatural elements are things that we believe in exactly we believe in and it's like even not that far fetched or like far removed to believe certain things which happens a lot in the book like there's this there's a, i'm gonna say a scene mm-hmm. or a part in the book where there's a wedding dress holding her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and denver is saying to her yeah the dress was holding you and no one says what yeah what that's crazy <laughs> i was like oh yeah what did it look like yeah <laughs> What could it mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell us why you chose this book. Why is this a book that made you? Mm. So it's going to be a similar reason as to why, for example, we enjoyed The Joys of Motherhood so much, which we've previously discussed. It was because I felt like Beloved gave me the female perspective to a story that I've been told my whole life. You know, and in this case, that would be, of course, the story of like slavery. But Beloved is an intimate portrayal, like intimate and unflinching portrayal of the unflinching. She said, you're not going to look away. (laughs) The end of the fire. Yeah. Hold it there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just a completely unflinching exploration of the realities of female lives during slavery and then also like immediately after and and I think yeah I just found that that was like really kind of important to do I think Toni Morrison herself said that she felt like most of the previous accounts of slavery up until that point had been quite simplistic and that they didn't really probe into the inner lives of their characters as such you know because they focus on like slavery as this overarching massive thing that just takes over the whole entire narrative and the whole entire story but there's not much focus on the humanity of the characters which I suppose makes sense because slavery inherently just robbed people of their humanity yeah no it's it's, I'm really glad that you brought that up because when I was reading it I was thinking about the first book I ever read about slavery which was Roots Mm. very plot driven it spans the like from someone being stolen from Africa going on the slave ships being sold mm. like many times mm. and then the generations of families up until they're freed mm. um, and then make them making a life for themselves but it doesn't in it doesn't it never addresses what that what it, that has meant for them as human beings mm. and I think like you said it, it just followed the institution of slavery yeah but not I don't even know there's it's really difficult to explain what she's done mm. but it did feel like she re- it feels like she put put herself in the shoes of those people and it wasn't um it's what's that thing that people say sometimes when you watch stuff and it's just really like horrifying 
Oh, or like just gratuitous. Well, or, yeah, or... it felt really like I was walking with them mm-hmm, in yeah. every little thing they do. Yeah. Like that, that even when they're kneading bread, that that might be a part of their day that they like. Mm-hmm. So like it was tragic, but also there was the fact that this was still their life, mm-hmm. and in within that there was still moments of joy. But um, yeah, I, I think I think all the other accounts of slavery have been have felt very um, filmy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I know exactly what you mean and that it didn't feel like, what's the word when it's like trauma porn? You know, when you're just trying to show you all these like traumatic things that happened to unnamed or like poorly fleshed out individuals and that all you know about them and all that there is to know about them is this trauma, this pain and this suffering and not like the little intimate day-to-day details of their lives, which is what grants people like humanity, which is what grants characters humanity. So it is kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what she did, like as you're saying, but it feels different. I feel like you can feel the difference. And it's much smaller than Ruth's. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) There's this quote about what Toni Morrison is aiming to do with Beloved when she's aiming to kind of flesh out the lives of these tragic characters. And there's something that she, I think there's loads of like structural things that she uses to achieve that kind of as well. And I read this interview where she said herself, and just to quote directly, she said, I wanted the reader to be kidnapped, thrown ruthlessly into an alien environment as a first step into a shared experience with the book's population. And I feel like that's exactly, she does that so well in Beloved where, because it's confusing. Do you know, like, I remember the first time that I read Beloved, I was first and foremost confused. I was like, what is going on here? What is real? What isn't? Where have I found myself? And I just thought it was so clever that she's kind of disorientating you to bring you closer to the lived experiences of these enslaved people who have been, you know, taken from what they've known and thrown into an alien environment where they don't really know what's going on. Mm. So yeah, it's just clever little things like that that like Toni Morrison does. And then it's the fact that she does it conscientiously as well because she'll talk about it later. She'll be like, yeah, I was trying to do this and that and that. And I just think she's such an incredible writer. The fact that she can execute her intentions exactly, so well and exactly. so successfully. I, rem- I I feel like part of that confusion for me was also the fact of how things that for me and maybe for the rest of us are so wildly like shocking are introduced without explanation justification like when she talks about how the men from sweet home were sleeping with animals yeah that is a one short sentence Mm -hmm. and she just goes on yeah and then then, and then they kept walking and I was like wow and I'm stuck I'm Mm -hmm. still stuck there Mm -hmm. so I feel like yeah I I can't one I can't believe the parts of slavery that I that completely went over my head because people yeah. flinch about them. I did not know that mm-hmm. that was normal, mm-hmm. that they couldn't really have sex with them. They would do things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's because a lot of like the true realities of slavery are things that are so horrific, especially in modern day society, that they're not discussed and not talked about because it's literally inhumane. And... We've, I think we've gotten to a place in society where we wouldn't even be able to imagine some of the things that happened as a result of slavery. The thing that makes me also confused, mm-hmm. but maybe more upset, is how 
a lot in the book is explored about how slavery dehumanizes you. Yeah. And she does mention how it dehumanizes white people. Yes. Uh, or the, the slave yeah, slavers. Slaves, yeah, slavers. But they seem fine. Mm. And that confuses me. Mm. I find that very surprising that they could do all of those things mm-hmm. and not lose anything mm. or not seem to face any trauma. I mean, can we say that they didn't face any trauma though or like not lose anything? I think that they not notice because I feel like black people, the characters in this book are grappling yeah. with trauma, mm-hmm. with the loss. Mm-hmm. And whatever white people have lost, and I think they've lost a lot, mm-hmm. they don't seem to be fighting with it. Mm-hmm. Or is, but or maybe I'm missing something. I think maybe especially back then to put, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say, but to put my <laughs> mind, to put myself in the mind of a slaver. I think it would be one of those things where you have to truly believe that what you're doing is not wrong in order to not in order to continue to be able to do it. But every moment that you realise that is a lie, because I know they had many opportunities to look at their shit. Mm-hmm. They're having children just like us. Mm-hmm. They're crying just like us. There was mo- there were moments where they had to reckon with that, mm. and what, they just walk. Because I don't think they were reckoning with it. You don't think they were? No, I think the dehumanization was so total and like so fulfilling that like even how you're saying now, like oh they have kids just like us, they weren't thinking oh they have children just like us. They were thinking they have. They have offspring just like the cows. Do you know what I mean? They were thinking they have offspring just like the horses that we use to whatever. So then, they were thinking of us as animals to be bred, not as fellow human beings who also have children. So then when they when slavery ends, mm-hmm. it's not because they think we're human. Mm-hmm. What is it because? They just... It's become less feasible or like less profitable or less... And that makes me worried. Else. Yeah. It should worry us all, really, because honestly, the reality and the lies that these people had to tell themselves in order to continue to be able to to do these things, I don't think that's something that you easily shake off. And I don't even mean in the sense of like in one lifetime, I don't think it's something that's even easily shaken off in a number of generations. You know, like I feel like it's so deeply like... It's soul deep, basically. And this thing is stunning to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I am... Yeah, it's because you recognise your own humanity. You can't imagine not, like, seeing it, you know, otherwise. I just want to... But what it makes me worried about is what are the stories that I might tell myself mm. that would mean that I couldn't reckon with mm. something that... Obvious. Obvious or, like, real. Because mm-hmm. maybe it's not obvious, but, mm-hmm. like, that true. Mm-hmm. When I was turning the pages, I was like, shit. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And I think that is, even to speak a bit more on that point, I think we mentioned this earlier as well, about how because she's taking the focus in this book away from the institution of slavery and focusing it more on the characters, it then gives a space to be asking these kinds of questions about humanity and what does this mean for us as a race really if we're able to treat each other this way if we're able to do these things to each other what does that kind of mean for us and I also feel like in doing that she kind of gave not like the authority but she kind of gave the story back to the enslaved people versus it kind of being in the hands of I don't know I guess the 
institution of slavery because this is still a story about kind of the people. Yeah, because I think often the stories about the civil war in America where they fought for slavery's rights and da-da-da, but actually inside this story, every page is about an insistence on humanity. Mm-hmm. Every page is about that. Yeah, There's a bit where, it's so well-researched, but there's a bit where she's describing how Paul D has the bit in his mouth. Mm. Oh, God, yeah. And I remember her talking about how shocked she was when she saw the is it called an entrap? I don't know what you would call that thing. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. You should Google it a bit. But when she describes what him having to have that in and then him looking at the chicken and then realising that the chicken has more humanity than him. Yeah, more freedom, more, more anything. Um, <clears throat> that even when the chicken is killed and cooked, it will still be a chicken that was called Mr. But mm. he's like, poor D's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All those moments, I feel like, yeah, to a slaver, it's just like, oh, I'm just punishing my so-and-so mm-hmm. but then Tony Morrison is, is like insisting again that no actually this is this is what you did yeah. when you did that thing yeah like the psychological effects of it the psychological trauma that's caused by these things because I think when they strip you of your humanity they also strip you of your kind of like responses to their to their treatment of you because I don't even know if it's just that you don't have much how how much more can you fight yeah I want to bit my mouth again. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I think, another thing that I really stands out to me the most about this novel is the way in which Toni Morrison handles the concept of trauma and of memory and rememory as this thing that's kind of inescapable and reoccurring on and on. Mm. And not even just like in our own lives. I think I also really enjoy how she... Well, I don't enjoy... But I think it's a great point how she kind of proves that trauma is also generational. Yeah, I I thought what was really interesting was that this account of slavery really talked about the aftermath. Mm -hmm. And so now we're really considering what are the effects. Mm -hmm. We're free now, Mm -hmm. but are we really free? Like what what is happening? What has been done to us and how is that going to act out in our lives? Yeah. And so I think maybe a bit of a trigger warning at this point for the next part of the discussion, which is going to deal with like some pretty heavy-ish topics like infanticide and suicide, I suppose. Yeah. So many, I feel like a lot of the characters in the story, of course, are carrying a lot of trauma with them. And they all carry kind of these little moments of violence or humiliation or dehumanization, which... They're kind of constantly circling as something that they are defined by, but they are unable to really confront. And in not being able to confront it, they're unable to move on from it. So obviously for Sethe, the main character, this is the kind of unspeakable act that she performed in the face of possible recapture, where she essentially chooses to kill her own children instead of letting them be recaptured and taken back into slavery. And so this is actually kind of the emotional heart of the novel, but what I find really interesting is that it's something that's not really revealed until much later on, but it's I feel like Toni Morrison does this thing where she kind of hints at it at like different parts all the way like from the very beginning. So you get the sense that there's this horrible, horrible thing that has happened, but they just kind of keep circling around it and circling around it and never directly really saying, oh, this is what has happened. Yeah. And I feel like for the reader, it just kind of like builds the anticipation for it more and more. 
because you're thinking how horrible could it have been Mm. (laughs) (laughs) you're thinking what did this woman do Mm. (laughs) how did you find that actually when you were reading um it for the first time in terms of the building of the tension Mm -hmm. or even like the reveal of what the whole what setha did so for me it wasn't as bad because I had known that what had happened. Mm. People had told me what had mm. happened. I took, I read this book so late in life, like better late than ever. Mm. <laughs> but I read it very recently. So I always knew what, who Beloved was. Mm. I didn't, I knew. And also I watched a play where they took, is it Margaret Garner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her story and used it again. Oh, okay, cool. Just a quick note. Margaret Garner was an escaped slave who chose to kill her own children as well in yeah. the face of possible recapture. And that is who Toni Morrison said that she loosely based Beloved on. Yeah, I'd seen a play about it and so it came up mm. and people related to Beloved. So I didn't have the same tension. Mm. But what I, what I did find interesting, which you just brought up, was about how everyone's dealing with these horrible things. Mm-hmm. So with Sethe... She's constantly living in the past and she mm. talks about, let me just get the quote, she talks about start this, the day's serious work of beating back the past. And that Oof. feels like her life's work, yeah. always to be wrestling with the past mm-hmm. and pushing it back. And Whereas you have Paul D who's just disassociated and doesn't talk about it. And like the day they go to the fair mm-hmm. and he's like skipping along and mm-hmm. whistling and I'm just like, how do you do that? Mm. I feel like it manifests differently for Paul D though. Yeah. Because I think with Paul D, his thing was that then he was never, ever able to stay in one place. Yeah. To stay in one place. But that's a disassociation. Like He just wanted to be away from it in his mind, in Mm -hmm. every, physically, just wanted to be away. But like you said, and what the story is trying to do all to the end is that you can't really get away from your past Mm -hmm. and that it's kind of buried in you. And you have to deal with that. Yeah. Like, you can't circle around it. You can't run from it. You can't bury it down, as you're saying, because it will continue to resurface day in, day out, every day of your life until it's something that's confronted. Speaking on that, kind of like the inescapability of trauma and how it's quite obviously something that needs to be addressed head on before you can ever think of being able to move from to move on from it so i think it's really interesting that tony morrison teaches us that lesson and then she kind of ends the book um with this like repeated refrain when it's like she says it was not a story to pass on which i think is kind of her speaking to the importance of confronting traumas in order to leave them in the past and to move on like as a community especially I think because over the past season really in general we've spoken a lot about the importance of storytelling and especially storytelling within communities in order to like you know build or reaffirm identity so I think in like saying oh it was not a story to pass on and ending beloved on that repeated refrain she's kind of saying we need a new story, basically. <laughs> <laughs> we need a new story. We need something else. We can't keep... Not that we can't keep, but I think we need to reframe some things in order to be able to move on as a community, like, in the healthiest way possible. Yeah, and there's the quote by the... the white, there's a white woman that delivers Denver. Mm-hmm. And she oh, says... Yes. I, I can't find the quote now, but she says something like... There's no healing without pain. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, everything dead coming back to life hurts. Or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything dead coming back to life hurts. And if there's there's a part as well where Sethe 
I think Paul D tells her something about how seeing her being raped. Yeah. And then she didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And and so when she hears it, she goes off and there's a bit where she's telling herself, like, I wish my brain could just not hold this stuff. Like, why do I, why am I so able to, like, and greedy for this, like, information? Mm. And she says she wishes she could, you know, go mad like other people. But instead, yeah. she just manages to keep going on, taking more. And then in the end, she d- end, ends up having a mental breakdown. Mm. And I'm not saying that people should have mental breakdowns and, uh, and as a means to heal, but I think that <laughs> it's important to allow yourself to be tender and not always to be strong, yeah. especially if you are defining strength as just carrying on. Yeah. Like, no matter what happens, I'll just carry my cross. Mm. And sometimes I think you need to stop and... Let it affect you. Let it affect you. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Let it affect you. Let it take its toll. And then you rebuild from there. Because if you don't, yeah, what is a life where you're just beating back the past? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's like the true message, I think, of Beloved to me. Yeah. Because you can never outrun the past. You went fast enough. Paul D. That was directly for you. So this was your first time reading it and we've already spoken at length, but I already had fears of this episode being like two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I want to know kind of what your first impressions were reading it and anything that you, yeah, really stuck out to you. So I had tried to read Beloved many, many times Mm -hmm. and I couldn't get into it. So I'm really glad that I kind of had to read it for this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I finally got into it, I don't know, it was so... It felt like a book I couldn't rush. Mm-hmm. Like it was, I wasn't reading quickly. I was reading it very slowly. Yeah, brings up a lot of questions, like we discussed already. But I think the main point for me, or the, there were like two main points, but one of them, and I'll lead with actually this one because you've already spoken about how um, at the center of the book is this decision that Sethe makes to kill her baby. Mm. But this question of motherhood and slavery yeah because it's a question because you're not you can't be a mother if you're a slave you can't mm-hmm. you don't own your children mm-hmm. and yeah so there's um in an interview tony morrison says that what Sethe did was the right thing to do but she had no right to do it mm. and yeah i don't know would you do it well i don't know because i haven't lived through it so yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, i don't have like the i couldn't imagine the headspace firstly that you would have to be in in order to do something like this. But then that's only because I can't imagine the horrors of what Sethe would have been through to even get to that point. So I kind of feel like in modern day times, especially like none of us know, like none of us know what we would really kind of do in that situation when push comes to shove and this is life or death. But I think Toni Morrison's really right in what she says that it was the right thing to do, but she had no right to do it just because very literally she had no right to do it because she didn't have the rights to her own body, let alone her children's bodies. So in doing that, she was actually committing a crime and not even just the crime that we're thinking of where it's like infanticide. She was committing the crime of destroying someone else's property. Mm. So I think when you like phrase it like that, where really the crime was destroying someone else's property... You can kind of see how in Sethe taking that action, she was reclaiming something. And I think that's the way in which I kind of see it. She was reclaiming her children, being like, no, these, this is mine. Mm. These are mine. And ultimately, I will do what I can 
for them or to them. Yeah. Because it's mine. And there's there's a bit when she finally makes it to sweet home. Not sweet home. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. When she makes it to Baby Shug's place and she meets Beloved again mm-hmm. after, you know, running to the children and she drools in her face. Yeah. And it makes her so happy. Mm-hmm. It's like, even though it's maybe been drilled into them that they can't be mothers, it's, you can't, it, it just felt like it was never an option that she couldn't be a mother to a child that she had carried for nine months and mm-hmm. already loved. Yeah, mm-hmm. it made it made me think about yeah the responsibility of a mother and like the choices that you, you have responsibility for that child's life. Mm-hmm. And if she's if she's taking up that role, even if she's not allowed to, she thinks she has responsibility over her child's life. And after seeing what she's seen, mm. I almost feel like she's saying, if what happens to her happens to me. I'm responsible for that. Yeah. And it's not going to happen on my watch. Exactly. So it ends here. Mm-hmm. I feel like is what she was saying. Mm-hmm. So then when the townspeople kind of shunned her for that behavior, having experienced the things that she did, mm-hmm. I felt I was side-eyeing them a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt like they should have gathered around her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely, completely agree. I think they should have gathered her, like around her. But I think it's just the horror like of the act that she committed itself. And even though you would think that they would be more understanding as people who maybe had also been through the horrors of slavery themselves, maybe it's the fact that they had been through it and couldn't imagine themselves taking the same action that really made them see, see like Setha as a monster. Yeah. When I thought she was so brave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really like, you were so brave. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, of course it, you want beloved to have the, the chance mm-hmm. but I don't know yeah I'm like is I think in her mind she was like it's just not even worth the risk if we're being taken away now I think it's a thing where she says that she would rather take them into permanent oblivion than for them to experience even a day of what she did at Sweet yeah. Home yeah and she said if I didn't kill you you would have died yeah Exactly. And Paul D said that he died too when mm-hmm. when they did certain things to him. Exactly. So it's like she, in giving them this one final death, she's kind of saving them from thousands and thousands of little deaths that would occur, like, occur over the rest of their lives if they were to go on and live as enslaved people. Yeah. yeah. And we talk about, you mentioned that beloved, be- beloved? Mm-hmm. beloved mm-hmm. is a malevolent spirit, but I feel like, you know, she has this thing where she keeps making everyone tell their story. Yeah. And yeah. how, like, forcing everyone to talk about what happened mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how, like, it, this is another thing I took away from the book because I feel like when it comes to racism and slavery, like racism and the the experience of it and its after effects is the one thing that people say, people always say like, don't talk about it. It would be better if we didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. But it's like when we talk about the economy, no one would ever say it would be better if we didn't talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why? And I feel like that's what this book is saying. Talk about it, mm-hmm. put it on the table, mm-hmm. reckon with it. Yeah. And then we can step over it. Yeah, Exactly. And then the last thing I, I feel like I, I really took away from it was um, this line where she says, I don't know who says that, I forgot, but it, someone says, freeing yourself was one thing, claiming ownership of that freed self was another. Mm. And I feel like that's a theme of like, yeah. Toni Morrison's like freedom, mm. what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is freedom? What does it mean to really own yourself, your story, your life? Yeah. And another thing that kept hap- like coming through the book was like, this idea of imagination and how Sethe talks about no the narrator says that Sethe didn't even have space to plan or imagine the next day because mm. she was just trying to get through mm-hmm. 
just survive. Yeah. And I always forget how much imagination and vision is important for freedom, mm-hmm. especially when you're someone who is living under someone else's vision yeah. or construction of you. Yeah. And I think also, speaking to that point on imagination, I feel like the characters do this thing, especially in the area in the earlier parts of the novel, where they essentially use their imagination to turn these traumatic symbols or like artifacts from their like past life and kind of make it more positive like for example with the scar on like Setha's back how that's like imagined now like as a tree and it's only revealed later on when we really go into the details of how she got that scar in the first place which is obviously because of like a gruesome whipping then it kind of like comes back into like relief is like okay this is this is from a traumatic event but up until that point I think it's described quite like beautifully as like a cherry tree Mm. or like something like that so it's just like using imagination throughout to kind of protect themselves from like the realities of their lives and the horror of the things that they've actually been through yeah and baby shook says she says the only grace they could have was the grace they could imagine yeah look at that and whoop there it is yeah (laughs) (laughs) whoop there it is Okay, so now is time for book recs. Ooh. Book requests from your book agony aunts. Your, your book fairies. Exactly, your book fairies. <laughs> um, so today, let's see what someone has sent in. Mm-hmm. Says, Hi Stacked, I'm usually quite safe in my reading choices. I tend to stick to the coming of age stories or something humorous. I'm looking for something a bit more experimental and grown up, but still fun. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. You haven't done anything yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they know what we're about to do. We ain't got to talk too much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. So, usually reads coming of age stories, but they want something a bit more experimental mm. and fun. Yeah. Okay. And grown up. And grown up. Okay, okay. Experimental and grown up is still fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking for a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, where do we start with this? But actually, I feel like science fiction. Yeah. Right? That's where I go for it. Yeah. Experimental. Check. Fun. Check. Yeah. But still fun because what's more fun than, you know, imagining different types of worlds, right? Exactly. So I think for this one, actually, I'm going to go ahead and recommend one of the authors that we mentioned earlier in the episode. So Octavia Butler. I feel like that slots in quite well so I think for this I would recommend Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler which is a post-apocalyptic sci-fi novel that essentially kind of explores what the future could look like if we don't enact swift action to essentially prevent climate change but so quick note on this Octavia Butler did write this in 1993 and still to this very day in 2022, we're still like, let's do something about climate change, still, guys. Still acting up. Yeah. I, I haven't read this. Oh, I think you'd love it. Okay. Yeah, like strong female protagonist. And it is sci-fi, but I feel like it's sci-fi in a I way that's sci-fi. more... Yeah. In every way. Yeah. But I feel like what I really like about this one is that it's in a way that's kind of like addressing a current issue. So it's very much like, guys, this could happen. 
like this genuinely could happen if mm. we don't change x y and z yeah so in that way i feel like it's experimental because it kind of like posits like a possible future grown up because it's about a serious topic climate change and fun because you know hey. Hey. <laughs> octavia yeah exactly <laughs> octavia bella I really like, uh, it sounds like a bit like 1984. Mm, yeah. Like that. Well. People really feel like that's happening. <laughs> I've always felt like it's happening. <laughs> like, since <laughs> the first time I read it, I was like, this is happening Too now. Late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. And I was like 15 when I read that. I was like, huh. Well, I'll be down. Yeah. Huh. And then especially like with the whole Big Brother thing and then like the actual show Big Brother. I remember like, especially when I was 15, I was like, <laughs> <It's> happening. <laughs> George. <laughs> right in front of our eyes. <laughs> you're killing me okay Um, so have you got a recommendation for our lovely listener I was thinking about a non-fiction option it's Mm. called The Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley Mm. Aldous Huxley wrote um, Brave New World which is one of my favourite science fiction books Mm -hmm. you can also read that but um, Doors of Perception is a little book where he discusses his experience on psychedelics and he's a really strong proponent of experimenting with drugs Yeah, and he famously like was on his deathbed and asked his wife to kind of like, you know, hit him up with some some drugs and he went out on a Which trip. Which drugs? I don't know. Where but it was like a psychedelic drug. <laughs> it was definitely a psych- psychedelic drug. So he went out just tripping. Yeah, he said, yeah, I, I think I'm on my way out. Give me the shrooms. He was like, Should I that? actually <laughs> love that. Yeah, I really, I really like him and his frames. Yeah. Nice glasses. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I'm I'm gonna read that. I remember there's a guy in one of my classes who looked just like Aldous Huxley, and I had a bad crush on him. Really, I have no idea what Aldous Huxley looks like. I'm gonna show you now. <laughs> so, those are gonna be our recommendations for the week. So we have Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, and then the Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley, which I will be, I actually will be reading. Tell me that. what you that think. Sounds so interesting. Yeah, and then also tell us what you think. Okay, so back to Beloved, and we're just going to wrap it up by discussing what our takeaways were from this incredible book. So I think for me, my main takeaway is actually probably the trauma thing, so the trauma question. I think this book taught me to be very intentional about addressing trauma, because I Mm. think it's so easy it's the easiest thing to push things down. It's the easiest thing to bury things and lock them in the back of your head and just be like, I'm just not going to think about that anymore. And you really think you're doing something. Hmm. <laughs> like, you really think you're doing something. You think it's working. Like, people who say they can compartmentalise. You're lying. <laughs> no, they, they, might, they might be able to, but it's like, at what cost? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. At what cost? So, I think... Yeah, it just kind of taught me or brought to my for like the forefront of my mind the importance of addressing things because I think I am actually quite avoidant as well, just naturally in day to day life <laughs> when it comes to like I'm happy to have like tough conversations, but when it comes to like dealing with like trauma and feelings, I'm just like oh, it's fine, I'm fine. <laughs> What are tears? Yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But then it always manifests and resurfaces in all these inconvenient and 
just unnecessary ways. Not inconvenient. So inconvenient. <laughs> I don't have time for that. <laughs> I don't have time for my trauma to be manifesting when I don't need it to. Okay. Mm. So I think what I learned from this work was just to try and address things head on. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think even on top of that, to not be afraid to feel the hurt. Mm. Because like what's her name the white girl who saved her amy 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 denver yes that's it like amy denver said anything dead coming back to life hurts so yeah that was my biggest takeaway we wanted to know what happened to amy i know like did she she ever get her velvet in boston right Mm. okay i love that takeaway that i'm also going to run away with that yeah um but my main takeaway was this exploration of freedom and the part that the imagination has to play in that. Mm. And it reminds me of this discussion that Eugene Vong was having in an interview where he was saying that people, when you when you tell your parents or people in general that you want to become a writer, everyone's like, oh, how silly, mm. how unserious. Mm. But you fail to recognise that storytelling is actually one of the most powerful things. Yeah. And it's like the fact that white people could have inflicted this on black people mm-hmm. and not ever been able to reckon with mm. the issue that is like manifest in the in the operation of slavery yeah. is so scary. Yeah, like not ever had to reckon with the same level of trauma that we have black people have had to reckon with generations and generations on. Because of the power of storytelling. Yeah. And he talks about how so many of his colleagues are employed by Google, Facebook to run courses on storytelling yeah. because that is how they get us to buy their products like yeah. they sell us a story and so it's like what story am I selling myself about who I am mm. about what I can be about what I can hope for also what stories am I selling myself that is cutting me off from other people's humanity or mm. reality I don't know Yeah. but it just made me think I need to be vigilant Yeah. or like you said what word did you use just now intentional, intentional. yes I love that <laughs> I love that very much And I think that's another thing that I love about this book is that it taught me so much because like even now and like rereading it and discussing it with you, I now have like a different takeaway that I'm taking from it because I never considered that like imagination and freedom um, aspect and how it's connected in this novel. And you just brought that to light for me. So yeah, still learning from this book even now. (laughs) Honestly, like a decade The gift that keeps on giving. Like it keeps on giving. It never stops. So... Bye, beloved, for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, beloved, right now. (laughs) So thank you so much for tuning in today. We love, love, love having you. Please keep sending in your book requests. Yeah. Next episode, we will be discussing Nervous Conditions by Sitsi Dangarenga. And this book is so important to us. Yeah. And it's our final episode as well. Uh, also so, important. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of fitting to start, or well, to end at the beginning, essentially. To yeah. end with the book that started all of this for us. Yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at the Stacked Pod. Please join our book community. You can follow me, Amanda, at Amanda Afwa. And me, Zipporah, at Black and Bound. So this has been Stacked. And make sure you pick up a book today. Pick up a book, guys. Reading is important. <laughs> Bye. Stacked is part of the ACAST Amplifier in collaboration with CC Co. The executive producer was Iwan Obinyan with production by II Studios.